everyone, and welcome to another episode of Starship Podcast Warlock. I am Drew. I'm Jeff. And we are watching The Young Ones. Yes, that's right. We're watching The Young Ones in order. Wait, we, it's The Young we Ones? Are... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was Black Adder. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> are you in the wrong podcast? Yes, I'm okay. sorry. I, I, you want the podcast next door. Stupid git. Oh, so, okay. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll just stop now. All right. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, we're watching The Young Ones in order. Uh, you, again, if you somehow have stumbled on this podcast and you're listening in the wrong order, first of all, that's crazy. But second of all, just so you know, what's going to happen is we're going to watch an episode a little bit later and we're going to comment on it or, you know, just kind of laugh at it. And uh, you will be able to sync up your copy of The Young Ones in whatever medium that you have it in uh, and have, of course, not pirated it. Uh, And then you'll be able to watch along with us. So if you are interested in doing that, uh, just be aware that's going to happen in just a little while. Uh, the other thing to mention, by the way, is that we are on Twitter. Uh, Starship Warlock is the place to reach us. And uh, by the time you hear this, we probably will have finished recording our Young Ones episodes. But you can always tweet us and maybe it'll go back in time and show up. And who knows, there might be more episodes on a different show. So uh, if you have some question or comment or uh, criticism or uh, you know complaint, you can send it to us and we will probably have a chance to say something about it on here uh, and maybe address your complaint and make you happy. Or maybe not. But, ho- <laughs> but hopefully. So <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Okay, so I'll probably say that address at the end again, but just so you know, Starship Warlock, that's the place to be. So today we are watching the 10th episode of the young ones? Yes, I believe we yeah. have hit double digits. Number 10 is called Time. So uh, we will be watching that soon. It only marginally has to do with what the episode is about. But, we'll, I mean, we'll get to all that. But the thing I thought that might be interesting is I know that in this episode there is a, a parody of an 80s TV show that I never saw called Dallas. But I was aware of it. Everybody was aware of it in the 80s. I used in to some play ways, the, I feel like... I used to play the theme song on my clarinet when I was learning how to play clarinet. <laughs> Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, everyone was aware of that show back in the 80s. I, I feel like it was the precursor in some ways to the kind of TV that we see everywhere now, even though it took a while to catch on because it was basically a primetime soap opera as i understand it with with probably were, the one of the most famous cliffhangers in history the who shot jr uh, right yes one of the main characters was shot by a mysterious shooter and we didn't know who it was for a season i don't know how that cliffhanger worked. I, I think it was i think it was literally you know over the summer basically right until the next season started um oh most I, likely I, i'm pretty sure that's the way it was i, I think that um that was the case. Of course, uh, Dallas is also the one that was famous for uh, writing a character back into the show as turning out that his death was only a dream. Um, so, you know, <laughs> things that have been parodied. Just timeless storytelling techniques, really. Time, uh, Timeless storytelling. I see what you're oh, going with Stop. Yeah. So, uh, as you may have gathered, I, I never really watched that show. I mean, I was a kid and, and the lives and infidelities and so on of oil tycoons in Texas were not that interesting to me at the time. I was watching a lot of other shows. 
Um, but before we talk about those shows, which is our uh, conversation piece for before the episode today, I do want to mention that I do have one connection in my childhood to Dallas that is worth talking about. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's not as tight as you think, but here it is. So when I was a kid, uh, and we're talking probably six or seven years old at this point, um, I, I had crushes on celebrities and probably the first one was probably Linda Carter in Wonder Woman. Uh, for some reason, Connie Selica from The Greatest American Hero. Uh, oh, that's a show I, I forgot to, to mention in my little notes here. Uh, but we'll get to it. Phoebe Cates in Gremlins a little bit later. Um, yeah, I was a little too young for Fast Time when it first popped up in the um, in the movie theater, but I saw it years later. Um. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah. She's adorable in Gremlins, and that's fine, too. And, and um, speaking of Phoebe Cates, uh, her claim to fame with one of the characters in the show. Processing. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, the Drop Dead Fred connection. Yes. That makes sense. Anyway, um, I don't know why that took me so long. Yeah. I was probably just thinking about Gremlins. Sorry. So anyway, so those were some of my, you know, childhood crushes. Um, I don't know if that's a thing that every kid does, but I, I definitely had those. Oh, but I, I had I had childhood crushes as well. I can quite assure you. And and those would fit on that um, uh, fit on that list. Um, uh, Aaron Gray from uh, Buck Rogers. I forgot about Buck Rogers. I never watched that that much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't one of my favorites, but that was, I mean, she was one of my favorites. I, I noticed from a very early age. Um, it, it's funny. I feel like she might be. I mean, it's funny because that's really more 70s than 80s or right on the cusp, I guess. So again, I was, mm. I was a little young and it was certainly during, you know, reruns that, um, well, we'll talk about how many of these things that, um, how many shows that we watched were ne not necessarily new in the 80s, but we watched them in the 80s. Yes. All right. We'll come back to that. But um, just to finish this story, somehow at this age, even though I didn't watch Dallas, I was somehow peripherally aware of Victoria Principle and somehow for this brief moment decided she was the most beautiful woman ever. Uh, and that didn't last long, probably because <laughs> I never saw her in anything. So it was just this like fleeting thing. But like it got to the point where I had somehow decided that my neighbor's older sister looked like Victoria Principal, so I had a crush on his older sister, too. Um, it was a very strange situation, but there it was. That was me as a kid, I guess. Cele so Celebrity overlay. Interesting. That is the only connection at all that I have to Dallas. So um, probably most of the people listening to this have an even less connection to Dallas. And like, why are we talking about this? Well, it we, will become clear. We would like to apologize to the population of Dallas, Texas, who may be listening to the show at this time. We didn't say anything negative about Dallas, the city. Oh, sorry. We I could. Sorry, that's right. That, that really was my inside voice. Okay, never mind. Um. <laughs> um, all right. So have I been to Dallas? I've I been. Know if I have. I've flown through the airport. That's about it. Yeah, I know I've done that. I must have gone at some point. I can't. I can't remember. Anyway, the thing I wanted to talk about was the other things that we were actually watching during the 80s. And so one of them is an example of the phenomenon you were mentioning just a minute ago, I think, which is Wonder Woman, which I'm pretty sure was made in the 70s, right? Yep. Or at least started in the 70s. Yep. Um, but I was watching it. I may have been watching it in the 70s, too. I was I was very aware of it at an early age and uh, and was watching it 
uh, in the 80s too, I'm sure. So Wonder Woman was a big one. Um, the A-Team. I was watching a ton of The oh, A-Team. Yes, absolutely. I, um, uh, Howlin' Mad Murdoch was a idol of mine as a kid. Uh, uh, Dwight Schultz, uh, most people nowadays, I suspect, know him more for uh, his appearances. Uh, Mr. Barkley on Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, a character who was written by um, by one of our uh, professors in college, actually. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, the connections are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yes, that whole thing is very fascinating. Um, I don't know who my favorite character on the A-Team was. Might have been either... It, it probably was either B.A. or Hannibal. Hmm. But I can't remember because B.A. Baracus, of course, played by Mr. T. Did he do anything else, or was that like his biggest thing? Like I know he was Rocky he three. was in Rocky three. Yeah, yeah Rocky three. You know. Okay, I guess that's pretty big he, too. He had he had um, you know the cartoon show, and he had cereal named after him. <laughs> I mean, his fame is enormous, like compared to the number of like acting jobs, as far as I can tell, that he did. But uh, deservedly so. What a character. Um, the Incredible Hulk was a big one. Another um, another sort of seventies crossover. Similar. And if there are show. people, if there are people listening who uh, are not aware of the series that we're talking about, it's it's worth commenting for a minute. The Incredible Hulk, uh, back in the day, was this show, this extremely melancholy show. It was so strange that it was like this, but the real tragedy of. Uh, was it David Banner in the show? I can never yeah, remember. They, they, they it was David. It David. Yeah, so David Banner, uh, the guy who turns into the Hulk, um, this was a real downer for him to, to be able to turn into this giant green uh, violent thing. Like it was his temper that he couldn't control. Uh, and I just remember how like intense it was whenever he got angry and they would close up on Bill Bixby's face. Look up Bill Bixby if you don't know who this is. He's he's a very small, slight guy, or at least he looked that way on screen. Uh, and his his eyes would go bright green, and you, you know you'd close in. I'm sure it was like a contact lens or something, but they close in. This intense music would start playing. His eyes would start glowing green. You'd see his clothes rip, um, and giant green muscles come out of them. And then when they pull back again, he was Lou Ferrigno, the wrestler. Um, but painted green, of course, um, and stripped to the waist because, of course, you can't wear clothes if you're the Hulk. So it was it was a strangely uh, dramatic show, I feel like, for a superhero show, which was very unusual at the time as well. Well, the, the Hulk was, I mean, you know, you think about its comic book roots and all that, but um, the way the show was structured was more like The Fugitive. Right, mm -hmm. because he would he would stumble into a town where you know as as with like the A team and a lot of these uh, a lot of these type of shows it was you know the little little guy against the big guy except this time the little guy went Goliath and turned green but I mean you know he would help people out there'd be somebody chasing him in this case there was a reporter chasing him who who knew his secret and at the end you know no matter how much of a good job he did he basically had to move on from place to place uh, more like the fugitive more like in some ways quantum leap i mean think about that there's there's mm -hmm. you you know you fixed whatever went wrong and then it's off to your next destination and for him it was it was very mel melancholy like you said because he just he couldn't settle down he had to keep moving he was 
you know, again, future. Were, were people chasing him? I was trying to remember. There, there was the uh, Mr. McGee, who was the um, the reporter, uh, mm-hmm. who was secret. You know, the the, the famous line in that the um, you know um, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah, so, which they would show in the opening credits, actually. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. It is it is fascinating. I um I was really into both the Hulk and Wonder Woman at the time and like um I would be them of course around the house or in the playground or whatever and for the Hulk I think my big thing was to knock over stacks of boxes which I feel like was a big thing in both of those shows. <laughs> it was kind of like that was a destructive thing is to knock over some crates or whatever. Uh, for Wonder Woman, I wore rubber bands on my wrist so I could de- uh, deflect bullets. So that was cool. One hell of rubber band. Uh, that's right. Uh, there was a show called Manimal that I want to mention, even though it barely <laughs> existed. Yeah, but some of those, I mean, some of the brilliance of the 80s are some of those shows that burned, I was going to say, brightly for not very long. I'm not sure if brightly <laughs> is the right way. But I mean, you know, like like Manimal or, or Auto Man or... Um, Tales of the Gold Monkey, uh, that, uh, or um, our, my favorite, Misfits of Science, um, one of the first things Courtney Cox ever showed up in. Um, I don't even know what that is. Misfits of Science is basically, uh, it's kind of like X-Men, in a way. That, okay. That, that, um, and it had, um, their government handler was played by, um, oh God, I can't think of his name, the guy who played the father on ALF. It was right before Alf too. Like I think if I know it, exactly, you mean, like but... in an alternate world, if um, if uh, Misfits at Science had lasted more than thirteen episodes or whatever, maybe Alf would have had a different dad. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I, I love that show. Uh, there was a show called The Highwayman, mm-hmm. uh, which actually the pilot episode had uh, early Claudia Christian years before Battle on Five, but. She was written out wow. after that, uh, but I mean, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those, um, you know, uh, again, um, then, then of course there was the, um, uh, you know, Knight Rider and Airwolf and that sort of. That sort oh, of thing. I forgot Knight Rider yeah. too. Yeah, I oh, used yeah. to love that. Um, I used to wait. W- so I, I never finished talking oh, about I'm Manimal. Sorry. Let yes. me just briefly explain yes, please, what it is. Please go to Manimal. Um, I think it lasted maybe two to three episodes at the most, um, but. The, Manimal had cool transformation scenes too, and I think that's what appealed to me. Uh, so there was this guy who kind of made Bill Bixby look like a bodybuilder, <laughs> from what I recall. But he uh, could turn into animals for some reason. I don't remember what the rationale was, but um, you'd you'd like get a close up of his hand or something, and you'd see it kind of bubbling and changing into the paw of a panther or like the claw of an eagle or i think he could change it to a snake too which is really inexplicable um but yeah that was manimal and it was it was fascinating and i'm pretty sure it was terrible it was so yeah yeah circa 1983 i think um yeah and then later on it got resurrected as a uh, comic book by grant morrison i'm just kidding um that's <laughs> animal man never mind um plagiarism but, yeah but I, I i love that show too for the brief time that it was on um uh i think one of the other things no. I, I mentioned do we have to explain knight rider do you think no do people know what that is no uh the hoff is still around i'm just saying yeah um, yeah so david hasselhoff with a talking car yeah that's what you need to know um oh and embarrassingly the dukes of hazard i forgot about that show yeah Ugh. well all right um 
I, I admit part of it, we were talking about some of our awakenings at an early age. Um, and I, I think, <laughs> I think I'd be remiss not to, not to acknowledge, um, the, uh, the greatness of, uh, Catherine Bach. Oh, is that Daisy Duke's name? Yes. Um, I don't think I ever knew her as anyone but Daisy Duke. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, it is funny how much I liked that show as a kid. Um, but I mean, it was also because, hey, look, cars get crashed up real good. <laughs> well, that was a big part of the appeal. And I lived in the South at the time. And so that was, I won't say normal, but like it felt like part of a culture, which now I look on and, and feel alienated from. Um, yeah. So another show that I think was very, very brief, I'm sure it didn't last may not even even have lasted a season was it was called the master. Or at least I recall it being called the master. And what it was, was, uh, Lee Van Cleef, uh, from the good, the bad and the ugly, maybe, uh, who he was, he was a ninja basically, uh, an aging ninja. And he was training a young protege in this case. Is it Timothy Van Patten? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, training him to be a ninja. And so they would get into all these scrapes and things with, I guess, other ninjas, it seems like. Ninjas were a huge thing. Like right around 1983, for some reason, everything was ninjas. Um, and I I still somewhere have a manual of all the things that you, all the ninja moves so that I could learn to do ninjutsu and, I guess, assassinate people. I don't know. They can kill a guy with an index finger. They can um, leap tall buildings, yep. single bound. You know, they can install telephones. And I thought all they did was hang around <laughs> airports and get sucked into jet engines. Uh, that's, that's the original uh, Tick comic book, folks. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a very yeah. uh, adroit recitation. That's because um, I have sad things memorized in my head and I'll never get out of it. <laughs> So Master Ninja, of course, you can you can see those as Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes if you can find those. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I don't know if it's worth your time, but the riffing certainly is. Yeah, th- agreed. Um, it, it has to be watched that way, personally. I, I've, otherwise, it would be pretty hard. Should we mention V? Yes. So V, as uh, probably some people know who weren't around then, uh, because they did do a remake of it. I don't know. Ten years ago, is it that more? Yeah, it's. It's. I mean, it was post Firefly because you had. Um, yeah. Uh, oh God, I can't think of her name. Um, Morena Bakarin. Is that how to say her thank name? Thank you. As uh, yeah, playing the Diana part in that. Mm-hmm. So the original one, uh, I guess they're really probably not all that different. I I tuned out of the the new one pretty quickly, but in the original one, these aliens show up in these giant spaceships, and uh, they, I think what they had like science and technology and the cure for diseases and stuff. And they just wanted to live with us and be our friends. Um, and gradually it became clear that, uh, their intentions were hostile and that underneath their human masks, they were actually lizard people. Uh, and they ate mice and, and things like that to give themselves away. I mean, not intentionally, but that's what happened. Um, and, uh, the the part that I recall because I only it was a mini series and I only saw part of it, but the part that I saw I only saw because we were sleeping over at our cousin's house or I was sleeping over at a cousin's house I can't remember if my sister was there or not. Anyway, we uh, we got to watch that even though I don't I don't know if my parents would have let me watch it but I got to watch it over there, 
and it was the the episode where they like figure out that the girl is pregnant because mm-hmm. she slept with one of the visitors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remember her uh, like people being angry and she uh, her just saying it was an accident. And uh, of course, that pregnancy doesn't work out super well for her. Uh, as I recall, she gives birth to some lizardly babies and she's not super happy about it. But, you know, these things happen. It was an accident. The uh, the interesting story, if I remember correctly, was that Kenneth Johnson was, I think, trying to create, like, there wasn't going to be any science fiction thing at all. It was supposed to be about the rise of, of like, a second rise of Nazism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, you know, in the eighties, nope, um, that wouldn't fly on TV. So um, they wait. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I mean, considering they made a miniseries called America with a K, you know, I mean, there, there were multiple things that did. You know, if Germany won the Second World War, um, obviously inspired in that case by uh, by Man in the High Castle. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the eighties, they were squeamish about it. It should be noted that this is the same. Uh, decade that aired the day after so uh, Mm. I I don't think there was any consistency there well also probably you know making it science fiction made it a lot more marketable true so well actually that's kind of funny because science fiction for a long time was considered a niche uh, a niche sort of Mm -hmm. thing but not not for actually uh, yeah not so much for primetime TV or at least there were science fiction elements of certain things that were in there I guess Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think about how similar in some ways the 80s were to now in terms of, like, TV, because not only did you have some of the earliest kind of quality superhero shows, another of which we'll mention in a minute, but also you had, uh, you know, these science fiction epics, the kind of miniseries thing, the Dallas serialized show, which I don't, I mean, I'm sure that these things continued to last through the 90s and, and back into the oddies, but it felt like maybe they went away for a little while and then came back. To the 80s credit, uh, with the exception of occasional little game shows or something like that, there was no really, there was no such thing really as a reality TV series thing. That's really. true. So we can be happy for that up until, <laughs> like, you know, Survivor came along. Um, That's incredible, maybe. Oh, God, real people. <laughs> All right, we won't even get into those. Uh, what else should we mention? Oh, so I was going to allude to the other superhero series that I was super into at the time, which is called The Greatest American Hero. Uh, and this is this is another kind of science fiction superhero, uh, not fugitive-y, I guess, but it had like this uh, government FBI sort of thing going on. Uh, and the, the premise of it was... I forget if it just landed on Earth or if, like, an alien brought it and died or what the deal was. But uh, this super suit, uh, like, basically a a leotard with a a cape, the old school superhero suit, uh, arrived on Earth. And this college professor, high school teacher, I can't remember which one he was, William Catt, recovered it and put it on. And the, the suit gave him, I think it was, there was strength and he could fly, but he didn't really know how to use it very well. Um, I don't know if there wasn't an instruction manual or they couldn't understand it, but something like that. And, and he uh, would continue to like crash into things. He was kind of a bumbling superhero, but a superhero nevertheless. And I was fascinated by that show. Uh, I, it's a little embarrassing to tell you how many of these I now have on DVD waiting for me to watch them, by the way. How many are there, Drew? 
Well, I do have three volumes of Wonder Woman. I do have the complete Greatest American Hero. Uh, I have attempted to watch some of these. Stay but, tuned uh, for a very special podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man was the one that I forgot to mention earlier, too. Ah, uh, yes. That's, that's so this also, one, also 70s, I think. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. But I was watching it in the oh, 80s, yeah. and, and yeah. that one's about a government agent who, or a cop, I'm not sure what, but he he gets wrecked, basically. I, I, I want to say he fell out of a plane or something like that. It was a car accident, whatever. Um, and they rebuilt him. Uh, so they gave him a bionic leg and a bionic eye, I think it was. Uh, and I think an arm as well. So essentially these prosthetics that you know made him a lot stronger and more powerful than he was before. And they gave him bionic sound effects. That's the important thing. That is important. Yeah, that, that was something you had to be able to do on the playground if you wanted to play Six Million Dollar oh. Manager. You had to be able to go... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say that um, Lee Majors, um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, that was the 70s, but of course uh, his follow-up series, The Fall Guy, was uh, was in the 80s. and um, uh, Which I did not watch. Uh, okay, I was thinking about Heather Thomas. Because there was in that, um, no genre element there at all, so... yeah. At least not that I know of. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Not really. Um, I, I admit I watched a little bit of T.J. Hooker, but was very, very upset with the fact <laughs> that there was no science fiction elements. But, but you know, I, I ended up with early Heather Locklear, so um, it, it all evened oh, out, yeah, I guess. Huh. But um, I got bored with it after a while. Um, so what what other shows have I missed that you were watching? Well, um, you know, like I said, um, The Golden Girls was late 80s, so that, that fits mm-hmm. after that, which has been entertaining. That one has lasted pretty well. That's still showing on TV um, on reruns mm-hmm. all the time. So that, that one has stood the test of time. Um, yeah. I watched... My girlfriend... I was just going to say, my girlfriend used to, to binge it a lot. Like, she has the DVDs, and so she just put it on while she was doing something else. So... Kind of by osmosis, I've seen a lot of the Golden Girls at this point, which I never watched originally. Well, it's funny, like a lot of, uh, like I think somewhere in the the mid '90s, mid late '90s, or whatever, when they started showing them TV, and that became like must watch for college kids. And I think it stayed that way for a while. I don't know if it still wow, is, but wild. yeah, um, go figure. I mean, it's a great show. Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of the stuff that I watched, there was a lot of stuff I watched in the '80s that were reruns from the '70s. So certainly, you know, All in the Family. Um, certainly there were, mm-hmm. uh, the best of, of Belushi era Saturday Night Live and Johnny Carson. They would show them and it cut up in like half hour segments at like seven thirty and eight o'clock at night or whatever. So I would watch, I'd watch that. Um, uh, some of that stuff was on, you know, Nick at night, basically. Uh, um, we would watch the odd couple because, um, again, a 70 show, but, um, because my dad literally is Felix Unger. I played. Felix in the odd couple in in high school uh, the original play and um, and when I was playing Felix I was not imitating um, Jack Lemon who played it in the original movie and I was not imitating Tony Randall but I was imitating my dad and my parents love Fabulous. my parents loved that show we'd watch it and they, they loved it for for two very different reasons my dad loves it because or my mom loves it because she points to Felix and uh, and his utter overly fastidious nature and um, and basically says you see this is what I have to live with and dad <laughs> points to it and says look it's the only sane person in the world uh, uh, this is also much later on there's so great uh, the, the, the only show that has possibly supplanted that is Monk 
and it's the yes. same. Okay. It's the exact same dynamic. Um, wow. So yeah. Um, uh, there's, I, I don't know if, if there's a, I don't know if you've ever, there's a real symbiosis there. Yeah. I, I don't know if you ever watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but, um, there is, there was a story arc in the second season where, where the, um, Midge and her, her now ex-husband and, um, the family ends up, the two families end up, um, her, her family and, and his, his parents, uh, apparently they spend every summer in the Catskills together. And even though they're broken up, they still have have those cabins and they still go and the the interaction between the two father-in-laws um uh her her dad is played by tony shalhoub and um and um his dad is played by kevin pollack and it really turns into a an odd couple act with with tony shalhoub as felix which is just perfect considering mm-hmm. his, his monk-like turn um at any rate, uh, that that's a little more in the future. But uh, other shows, um, let's see. You already mentioned the A Team. Uh, of course, I watched Star Trek to, um, to you know a million million times. Um, uh, let's see, Adam's Family. I think you said you were more of a Munsters uh, person. Um, Twilight. I just for some reason Adam's Family was never on when I was watching TV. And Munsters was on all the time. Twilight Zone. Um, I watched uh, one other show. I watched with my parents a lot. Uh, was Murder She Wrote. <laughs> I, whatever. Um, uh, uh, it's it's not. Uh, I'm not scoffing. I mean, I watched yeah. Three's Company with my mom and Alice and yeah. like. Oh my god! And stuff yeah, like I that. forgot. I forgot what I used to watch with my dad all the time. Welcome back, Cotter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and it was sort of the oh my god, he's the second coming of Groucho Marx, and and um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, oddly, not that much more comedia surprising for as big a Robin Williams fan as as I was. Um, oh yeah, no, I did watch some more comedia. Yeah. I do remember that. Um, and then a lot of the other ones were were you know you'd say kids show or cartoons. Uh, well, I guess Muppet Show was was all ages, but I mean again that's yep. that's late seventies to nineteen eighty. And then and then the rest was cartoons. I mean you know Transformers, GI Joe, Ghostbusters. Um, He-Man. He-Man. Uh, certainly Thundercats. Uh, certainly Looney Tunes. I mean, you know, I've probably seen every Bugs Bunny uh, ever made, I think. Uh, and, of course, Saturday Supercade, because I was a video game junkie. Um, I did not oh, yes. I did not watch that much Scooby-Doo. I didn't really care for Scooby-Doo. Even in an early age, I recognized, oh, this just feels like the same darn episode. <laughs> Um, except for when they would have the celebrity guest stars, in particular when they had uh, Batman and Robin guest star, because it's Batman and Robin. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I do. I also remember watching the '60s Batman show a lot. Oh yeah, that okay, that's well. fair. Yeah, that's fair, of course. Yeah. Um, how could you not? Um, mm. But not so Dallas. Never Dallas. Well, it just was, it was a grown-up show, you know, and unless my parents watched a particular grown-up show, I probably would not see it because they'd be watching something else, True. you know. True. I mean, there were things that I was aware of like, you know, Miami Vice was really freaking nifty and, you know, the the that that look to find a good part of um a good part of that time, but um certainly mm-hmm. nobody in my family watched it, so I knew the theme song was cool, but that was about it. <laughs> Yeah, my mom would watch things like uh, Magnum P.I. My mom. She liked Tom Selleck. Yeah, my mom too. Yep. Uh, what a weird time. I, I 
I imagine if anyone under the age of like 30, for whatever reason, is listening to this podcast, they're like, what have I, what have I done with my life? What have I done to deserve this? Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I'd say, you know, God, most of them have to be on, on Netflix or Prime or something like that. And see, you know what? Pick mm-hmm. one episode, go online and find out which are the, you know, which are, I don't know about seminal, but like the, the ones that would be most worth watching and just watch one or two of them and you're probably done at that point. Like, oh yeah, no, you, there's... These are not shows that reward watching the whole thing. They're, they're very, most of them are very episodic and it's like, you know, you watch one, you've kind of seen them all. Um, at least in terms of, like we said, the, the, um, yeah, well, all right, Manimal, there weren't that many episodes. So then, uh, <laughs> clearly that was all they needed. But... <laughs> the shortest podcast ever. Uh-huh. Well, Welcome hey, to the, the Manimal cast. Well, um, the Young Ones is only 12 episodes. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but that's the, well, that's I, the difference. I'm pretty between... sure Manimal was like three. I thought it was about 13. I thought they got a full, but at any rate, oh, I, don't... I mean, well, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, go figure. Actually, all right, I will mention one other show. There was a show called It's Your Move. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it never heard of and that. And that one only aired, it was, I think it was 1984. It only aired a uh, single season. It was the first thing I ever saw Jason Bateman in. And, uh, oh. and David Garrison, who played, um, who played, uh, oh God, uh, Marcy's husband in the early seasons of Married with Children before she left, before he left. And, <laughs> oh my um, God. And Ted McGinley came in. And, and so the story was Jason Bateman was kind of this Ferris Bueller type who would pretty much con mm-hmm. everybody. And, and until, um, his mother, who is single, starts dating this guy who is a grifter, and the two of them basically end up recognizing that each one of them is, is grifting and trying to outdo each other. And, like, he can, he, you know, I mean, again, this kid has had the entire family wound around his, his finger, and now this guy steps in and recognizes him for who he is. Um, uh, but on the other hand, uh, like, it, this this cat and mouse between the two of them. Um, and... Uh, and there was actually this famous two-parter where, um, where he basically invents this entire rock band out of whole cloth just to, uh, <laughs> uh, just to, I think to be popular or whatever. And then, well, and then, uh, well, at any rate, um, at, at, after a few episodes, somebody wrote in and said, "Hey, it's not nice seeing this kid being, being, you know, putting one over on his parents." So at some point, uh, on his mom. So at some point, the network decided he had to get discovered. And so at that point, it turned into a regular sitcom and lasted maybe a few episodes after that, and that was it. Oh but, but those first few episodes were brilliant. And and I, I've talked to people that have seen, like, you know, uh, I think you can still find them on, on YouTube or whatever, and, and uh, I don't know if it's been officially released. And supposedly they still hold up, which is amazing. Wow. Well, of course, what that sounds like to me is the TV series that they based uh, Parasite on, the movie. Interesting. Well, I mean, this is a pure comedy. No, I'm totally kidding. Yeah, uh, they absolutely did not do that. No, I, but it sounds a lot like it from the way you're describing it. Have I ever seen Parasite? Clearly not. Um, oh, you should watch Parasite. Okay. It's good. Welcome to um, the Parasite podcast. It's, it's, it's not light entertainment, but yeah. it's good. Uh, I, I have to, we're like well past the mark when we probably should have been watching the episode. So we'll. I promise we'll get to that in a second. But I do need to mention a couple other quick shows that I just thought about. Uh, you can't do that on television. Oh my God. Yes. Um, when Nickelodeon started up, uh, there were shows like that. Yep. Yep. Um, a very strange show. Uh, there's probably a whole podcast in that. Honestly, uh, the tomorrow people, I knew you were going to bring that up, uh, which I maybe saw before Dr. Who I was going to say, you didn't even mention Dr. Who. That was kind of shocking. 
Well, I didn't. Uh, I think I read a lot of the books before I even ah, started yes. seeing the show, and I don't remember when I started seeing the show. Um, I know that I didn't get to watch it regularly until after like 1985, 1986, but I may have seen a few of them before then. I'm just not sure. Mm. Cause at the time, of course you had to see the ones that the PBS station had and you had to have a PBS station that would play them. Yep. Um, so yeah, all those shows on Nickelodeon, I remember. And then, um, the, the last thing I wanted to mention was MTV, which started in 1983 it didn't really have shows back then, as you've probably heard old people like us say. 81, I think. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. 81. But yeah, that was a really defining thing of the 80s, of course, was all the music that happened, perhaps primarily because now it was visual and in your living room all the time. Uh, so that was that was a big defining thing as well. Yeah, good point. Yeah, which, of course, was... The network that was showing the young ones and we come full circle well played sir well played <laughs> all right so let's get into this thing That's we're gonna watch time now circle. <laughs> yeah we, uh, all, all this background information will certainly help you appreciate uh time more so now's the time to get queued up wow, Neil with your dvd or uh downloaded video or whatever it is you have uh jeff and i are going to do that and then we'll count into the episode so let's get started with the episode i will count down from three to the word play which will take the place of zero and then we'll go are we ready yes three two one play The names are amazing. There's a lot of semi-nudity in here. I did not catch that. Uh It may not have been shown. It's our second non-standard opening in a row, if you recall from Nasty. Randy the Cowpoke. I didn't get that back in the day. And And this is not what Victoria Principal looks like. Good American accent. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not a good American accent. (laughs) 
And he was. <laughs> I wish this was the whole episode. I really do. I could watch half an hour of this. <laughs> I have to agree. Thought I don't know where they'd go after this. I True. <laughs> Poor Neil. One of my favorite Rick looks is about to come up. Dear God. But see, if this would if that was the whole episode, we wouldn't get Jennifer Saunders. That's true. She could be in it. Okay, that's fair. Dirty Tidy Whities is not one of the highlights of this series for me. They are consistent about it. Nope. I feel like Vivian's mohawk is particularly bouffant in this one. Well, and Rick's hair is quite spread. Mm, it is. Was Mary there? <laughs> yeah, Mary, who's that tall girl doing joggers. I never noticed the green streak in his hair. Yeah, that's odd. I like my tea hole. <laughs> This is demolition level weirdness for Mike. Mike looks even smaller than usual, the way the camera is angled. Mm. 
So I guess uh, Viv doesn't need to borrow any more cups of sugar. <laughs> yeah, they're they're past that crisis. Ooh, Heather's reference? Huh. Or precursor? Precursor. Clearly the young ones invented the phrase, lick it up. I mean, he's not wrong. That's a pretty big contribution. <laughs> I feel like Vivian's more self-destructive than usual, too. Yeah. This does play like a throwback to an earlier episode. random python <laughs> reference that was a brilliant random python reference Clearly, Don French and Jennifer Saunders are both contracted to be in the same episode. Yep. They were, of course, both in the comic strip presents with some of these guys. Mm -hmm. Cheek.
<laughs> but on the other hand, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> It's a continuity problem here we'll address after the episode. Like I said, this plays like an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Here we see why Vivian is a doctor. <laughs> that facial expression is also very funny. This would be creepy if they were halfway competent at it. This is where they fell in love. I don't know. I think it's when, when he was doing push-ups in the earlier episode in front of her. <laughs> Good God, Vivian. Good 
<laughs> and that's why they fell. And that's why she's dressed like Goldilocks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never really picked up on that before. <laughs> and this is how you make the three stooges look civilized right Is that Robbie Coltrane again? Feels like it probably is. It just seems very Hagridish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Pirate radio. Oh, really? I forgot. I forgot he was in this episode. <laughs> this is a weird, weird bit. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is a pretty Im impressive Neil lifting scene. <laughs> Yay. What about them? Oh, there's the wires. Nope, aid really is that strong. <laughs> well, they, they shot it pretty well. I didn't really notice them, like, right off the bat. This is one of my favorite musical guests on this. Really? I really like this song. I wonder what ever happened to them. I don't think they lasted too long. I do like it when the band actually has some interaction with the show in some way. Mm-hmm. 
weird microphones from the 80s. I was just thinking I want a microphone like mm. that. It's like those uh, guitars without the head on it. Mm-hmm. That was very, very sweet. Did not remember that. <laughs> Why, Neil? Ugh. God. <laughs> Look at that purse she's got. It's like a drum. That's one of my favorite lines from the show. <laughs> this is always happening to Mike. There's a radio on top of his helmet. Yep. The JV I never clip. noticed that before. How does that make any sense? Ha, <laughs> 
All right, we've gone from Three Stooges into Bugs Bunny territory, I think. Yeah. Uh, misunderstanding that can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and once again, the TV has something taped in front of it. <laughs> I love Vivian's. It's the the look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Neil. What? This is even more inexplicable now. Oh, right, because they're mad at Neil. <laughs> Speaking of game shows.
<laughs> I love the reaction to that. <laughs> I love the way he says completely. Of course, Monty Python used to rail against the fact that they could never really find a good way to get out of um, uh, to get out of sketches, which is why they would do links to other sketches, and as opposed to they'd even make fun of having a punchline to end a sketch. But mm -hmm. this is kind of an additional lampshade on that, which just the you know what we're done. Which in some ways anticipates one of the criticisms I'm going to level here in a minute, but not completely. Oh, poor Neil. All right. That is the end of that. Um... Do you want to start or should I? Uh, go ahead. I seen her call. You have things to say about the show. I do. I I, uh, I should get my popcorn. Go ahead. Uh, the first one is very short, which is that although I ordinarily am kind of in favor of not having gendered words for professions, I feel like murderess is really a kind of dignified word that uh, it sounds better than murderer. Murderer is like, oh, God, what a horrible person. And murderess is like, you know what? She's a pro. That was the first thing I wanted to say. Uh, so here's the second. So um, we clearly saw established and nasty that uh, all four boys are virgins. And they all know that each of them is a virgin. Uh, and so in this one, it's it's not that weird that that Rick is... <laughs> is being called a virgin. I mean, it, there's something weird about like Vivian making fun of him for it 
and Rick not being able to say, well, you are too. I don't know. It's not really a criticism. It's just something that always kind of like seemed off to me in the sequencing of these two episodes. Well, I mean, so if it if it actually aired in the reverse order, then you'd have no problem with it, basically. Mm, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I mean, for me, for me, you know, part of the amusement of the young ones is its randomness. Um, <laughs> this this one is perhaps a little more random than usual. I mean, I actually think that the pirate it is the pirate radio skit actually isn't that random. I feel like that one's fairly. Um, that's a fairly standard link for them to go to. Uh, I mean, I, I like the pirate radio joke, and then the idea that okay, they're they're inside the little toy ship. Um, you know, I mean, like, is it um, like the the weird stuff in in oil or a couple of there's other ones that I feel like that are weirder than that. But but when it goes into the uh, medieval night stuff is where it kind of loses me a little bit. It's the well, we don't have anything. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jennifer Saunders is sitting around for half that episode. Well, you know, um, mm-hmm. after she finishes nearly strangling or nearly suffocating Mike. At that point, the boys are bickering, and she's just sitting there combing her hair, waiting for stuff to happen. And then, oh, look, she's been run over by a door and a horse. This this is actually my biggest objection to the whole thing, which is that her her whole thing is kind of pointless except to provide a reason for uh, Rick to pretend to have gotten laid and then for Vivian to make fun of him for not having gotten laid. So, I mean, I mean if you're going to make her a murderess, why not have a something happen with that yeah um maybe one of them well all right mike obviously thinks he's potentially going to get lucky but um Mm -hmm. yeah it would be be interesting if you know i I don't know that if each of them had time alone with her and and yeah i I don't know i mean there's also certainly think looking at this through a modern lens curious if there's certain things that uh, there's certain things that that are a little bit in this episode that I'm, i'm I'm watching this and I'm like, is this going to feel a little too dated or, or sexist? Where are we going with this? And it, I, I don't think it mm-hmm. quite went over the edge, but um, but um, one one never knows. But I mean, like some of the randomness stuff is uh, is okay. Like I mean, okay, seeing Dawn French as an Easter Bunny um, cracks me up every single time, even though it's just it, it's random stuff. But it's also it happens and then it's over with and done. Um, so I'm, I'm okay mm-hmm. with that as a little minor, minor thing. The, the medieval stuff to me seems way, yeah, that, that, that one doesn't, uh, doesn't work for me, sadly. Um, but, uh, it, it sort of feels like maybe they stitched this together from a bunch of stray jokes that they had. Well, like I said, uh, and ideas, I mean, like you said, for Mike being some of his randomness and his demolition, that it does feel like they're leftover bits from, from earlier episodes. It absolutely does. Um, and, and yet. I mean the time sequence, uh, the the Dallas sequence is still one of my favorite, um, my favorite bits in the whole series. Um, that is the high point of this episode, without a doubt for yeah. me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sound probably more serious than I take this. I mean, I don't care if it's random. I don't care if it doesn't tie up. I mean, it's the young ones, um, and some good. It's just there to be lines. fun and to segue to something else that's fun, but. Uh, if I'm like looking for a reason to prefer one episode to another, I mean, it, it, this is these are the reasons I think that time is not as uh, as high in my affections. I think as maybe some of the other ones are, and I do like you were alluding to. I do find the whole sequence where they're all kind of creeping on 
Jennifer Saunders to be uncomfortable. I did then and I do even more now. Um, you know, it's it's sort of funny, but it's also kind of just gross. So, you know, it, it didn't go as much over the edge as I thought it was going to go from what I remembered. So I'm, I'm maybe because my expectations are where they were. It wasn't so bad. But um, yeah, um, you know, it's it's interesting that um, that uh, Mike might get some fairly good lines in this episode, though. I was thinking about I mean, you know, um my favorite still being, um, you know, Mike, what's the thing for a hangover drinking heavily the night before? And there's one you, you <laughs> called out later on about the... Um, yeah, my favorite was, uh, is that the time? No, time is an abstract concept. That's a wristwatch. Right, right. Um, yeah, I agree. That That's the Sassina Pazum Peep type uh, level of um, joke uh, that I thought... Yeah, it's brilliant and and very Mike thing. Like, I mean, if you were going to give that to anybody in this uh, in this series, it's clearly something you give to Mike. And it's funny we talk about him as the mm-hmm. ladies' man and the and and the uh, um, the uppie or the, or the one that has all the schemes, but he's also the one that that has the most abstract thinking in that way. Um, yeah, he's the one that gets all those weird conceptual jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, which are really terrific. As opposed to you know the other three that are basically doing Three Stooges. Um, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, I mean, well, especially Aiden and and Rick, obviously, but uh, or uh, hitting Neil over the head, which happens quite a lot in this episode. Um. <laughs> One of my favorite moments too, and I called it out while we we're watching it, is is Vivian explaining what has happened and then <laughs> looking somewhat disgustedly at the audience about this whole thing. Well, and also the fact that like Rick, on the other mm-hmm. hand, is immediately so thrilled by it and on top of all all that that just the, the oh, reaction yeah. between the two the, yeah but but i agree that little that little bit that little gaze of of um of aid that is the and i'm like is that fourth wall breaking there uh, it's just yeah brilliant and like i said <laughs> I, I love as as um much as it maybe even makes me uh, a little uncomfortable too um the whole double triple take that rick does at the beginning waking up is just like mm-hmm. if you asked me for one quintessential uh series of just rick uh psych eggs or him reacting that's that's mm-hmm. th- that's up there that's at least top three yeah it's it's a pretty brilliant little silent performance there um what was i going to say it would be higher if we didn't have to look at his underwear at the end of that Oof. <laughs> oh, I remember now. I was going to mention uh, again that I really love the exchange. Vivian, where did you get that howitzer? Found it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just so perfect. Yeah, there's there's a lot of little moments I like in this. I think overall it, it does feel like a little bit of a, a, you know, a mixed stew of stuff that they've kind of put together. But uh, again, as I keep saying, it's the young ones and it's never bad. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, you know, we have been going. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, I, I won't start rating the episodes until the end of the uh, until the end of the season. Yep, I think yep. so. I, gotta I, wait. I will save that. Mine are still percolating, I have to say. So okay. I'm pretty sure I know where this one is, but uh, yeah. some of the other ones are still shifting around. I'd be curious to to look at them both from the context of um, of how did they do? How do they fit the season? And then how do they fit into the series as a whole? I'm curious to see mm, how that's... What do you mean? Well, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, is there an... Oh. I, I'm curious... To do a second half rating and then uh, a full a rating, full rating it, of all Yeah, of I'd be curious to see, you know, um, and, and also to look at generally 
um, you know, were the first season episodes stronger or the second season overall? Or, or uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I have I have thoughts. We'll see how they end up mm-hmm. when we get there. Yeah, that'll be a fun discussion. That that episode might even be longer than this one, but uh, it's time is is shaping up to be our longest episode ever. What with all that reminiscing at the beginning, An episode name time that seems almost like we planned it, but we didn't. <laughs> well, maybe this is a good time to wrap up. Then uh, this has been Starship Podcast Warlock. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can find us on Twitter at Starship Warlock. Uh, no podcast in the middle. Um, and please do tweet us and, and let us know uh, what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, any other thoughts that you may have that are completely unrelated to the podcast, we're, we're definitely interested. And uh, we will talk to you next time with the episode sick. So until then, I'm Drew. I'm Jeff. And this has been Starship Podcast Warlock. 